be bold and be brave and just go for it. As photographers, we are always looking for powerful images that, that will hold time in place, that will draw people in and symbolize something universal, something shared, something emotional. Everybody needs to see what's going on everywhere. Pictures just stand out. This is how we remember. Insights, kits, and the conversations that matter with the world's leading photographers and filmmakers in Shutter Stories. What makes a great sports photograph? Is it one that transports a viewer back to a glorious moment of victory or a crushing defeat? Or is it a considered portrait of a sporting hero or heroine of the moment? I'm your host, I'm Ilvinio Kikchin. I'm a photojournalist and a Canon ambassador. And joining me today are two photographers who I'm hoping can provide us with an answer. Freelance sports photographer Ella Ling can be found courtside at major tennis events all around the world. And Eamon McCabe is a former picture editor and a freelance photographer who has been shooting sports for broadsheet newspapers for decades. And today we're going behind the lens and into the heads and hearts of our guest to find out just what makes a great sports photo. Welcome to the show, Ella and Eamon. Good morning. Thank you. Thanks so much for being here. So, yeah, let's uh, start with quite a big question. Um, but when I say the words iconic sports photograph, does any particular image uh, from the last decade come to mind? Um, yeah, this question is to both of you. So whoever wants to start. Um, if I could just go back a little bit earlier than the last decade, a picture that really sums up kind of my philosophy in sports photography with my editing hat on, if you like, is a picture that sums up a huge event. And it might not necessarily be the goal or the great last shot in the tennis match, but it's something that lasts, something that lasts for a couple of decades. And uh, the picture I, I've got in mind is uh, Johnny Wilkinson when um, they won the World Cup in Sydney in 2003. And it's not a picture of the kick that won it in the last seconds. It's not a picture of all the crowd or a team picture. It's just a picture of Johnny Wilkinson going down a set of stairs, being congratulated, by, being patted on the back by all the fans. And he looks like a gladiator. And that picture went round the world as Wilkinson beats the world. And that's the one I really remember, you know, that I helped edit, if you like, a picture that summed up the whole event, but had nothing to do with the sport. And I think if we as photographers can get those moments, they're the moments TV doesn't see. And that's what I'm a great advocate that we, we in newspapers shouldn't just be showing the same that's, that's on telly. We should be showing you something different. Hmm, the things you have not seen yet, right? Kind of, and it doesn't have to be behind the scenes because this was in front of everyone's eyes, but uh, maybe not the moment that was shown on TV. I don't know the image, but the way you describe it, it's beautiful. It's by Tom Jenkins. And uh, as if you look it up, Johnny Wilkinson wins World Cup. It's just, it's just a picture that says everything in one frame. And, uh, and our, you know, I'm sure... Uh, other Ella would tell you that, you know, if you can sum up this year's Wimbledon in one picture, you know, whether it's a tennis player going off to hug his mum in the crowd or somebody on their knees, you know, celebrating. But there's an image, there's often in these big events, there's often one image that sums up the whole thing. And we live on our nerves to try and get that picture. And if we get it, it's the most wonderful feeling. Yeah, yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> yep. And Ella... What is it for you? Um, I mean, there have just been so many incredible, incredible sporting moments. But I think one that came to mind was the uh, 2016 Olympics um, when Usain Bolt was running, I believe it was a semi-final of the 100 metres. And um, I think actually two photographers managed to capture a very similar image. Um but it's when Usain is is running full pelt um, ahead of his competitors, and he's looking back over his shoulder with what looks to be a big grin on his face. Um, and not only is that a really special moment that they've captured, but they both shot it using uh, a slow shutter speed. So they've managed to capture his face pretty much pin sharp. But the rest of his body is is blurred. You know, it's, it really shows the motion, how fast he's running. 
And the expression on his face is almost like, ha, you know, you can't catch me. And (laughs) I just think that that picture is, it's, it's beautiful. And I know how incredibly difficult it is to capture that technically. Um, I think probably there was some luck involved as well, but they, the fact that two of them managed to capture it is, is unbelievable. And I just think that picture really sums up about well, possibly the whole Olympics, but certainly sums up, you know, what Usain Bolt is and it sums up the legend that he is. So, yeah, that's that's definitely one of my iconic pictures the last decade or yeah. so. Yeah, I love that image. Like, what year did you say it came out? Like, around what year? Um, 2016, I think. 2000, yeah, it's to me, it really seems like yesterday. I see that picture. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I can just see that the way he was smiling. I mean, I don't, mm. I guess we really don't know if it was really a smile, but it's like, yeah, catch mm, me if yeah, you can. Exactly. It's like <laughs> a cheeky grin, like, you can't catch me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're right. Technically, it's also a difficult image to get mm. it uh, in focus with the, with the lower shutter speed. Absolutely, and you have absolutely. to kind of drag. Is that called, yeah, like you have to kind of panning. grab with the camera? Yeah. Panning. Yeah. Pan, that's the way. pan with him. Yeah. So I don't know how they did it. I'm in, I'm in awe of, of, of them for capturing that. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah fantastic image. So what kind of emotions um, do these two images make you feel? Or let's say like a really good sports photograph. What kind of emotions um, yeah, kind of come with those when looking at it? Well, I think when you, if, you're, if you're lucky enough to capture something that um, you've been after, that, that, that's the hardest thing. I remember, this dates me, but when I was doing Bjorn Borg and trying to get a picture of Bjorn Borg hitting a, a backhand volley. And at these sort of days before people photograph backhand volleys, I mean, when you're at Wimbledon this year, you'll hear cameras going off all the time from the serve to the, to the end of the match. But it was nerve wracking because it was silent. But I wanted to get a picture that summed up what makes Borg special, what makes him win five Wimbledons. And it's it's the concentration and the eyes. And I, I can sort of still remember the emotion of getting it, going, getting back. Don't forget my day, you, you, you had to process film. So you drive back, you don't even know if you've got it. I drove back, processed it, and I got it. And it uh, it went on the front page of The Observer on a Sunday. And, uh, you know, that when you go after things, as Ella will tell you, there's probably a few pictures that she's after this year of various players but and if you capture it, if you're on the right court, the right time, the right light, it's a wonderful, wonderful emotion. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually looking at that image now. I think I think it's the first image on your website in the sports category. Yeah, I never oh, never Lord. fail to mention it. <laughs> yeah, it, the people should really check out this image. Here. Oh, I really oh. love the fact. I mean, oh. all the bl- the images in your sports page are mostly black and white. Yeah. Um, it's an amazing image. Also, the way the ball is kind of placed and the guy. There's a guy sitting behind him. Who's like, I don't know. Uh, I'm not line the biggest judge, yeah. the, the line, line judge, judge okay yeah, yeah I'm not yeah. a big tennis <laughs> watcher but <laughs> I love just the way he's sitting there it's a beautiful yeah, image yeah, people have yeah. to go check it out yeah. and for you Ella what um, yeah what kind of emotion does a uh, yeah when you make it when you either take a good image or when you're looking at one well I mean if I'm for example the, the Usain Bolt image when I look at that it, firstly I'm jealous <laughs> because I really wish that <laughs> was my really version. That's a good answer. I know. Yes, <laughs> um, yes, yes. You know, I think <laughs> I know that's that true. For, yeah, that's true for all photographers. I think everyone yeah. wants that perfect picture or that iconic image that really just sums up a moment or a point in history. Um, but I'm also, it also makes me smile. Like it's just such a, I think it's a really beautiful image. Um, and I know how, how happy that photographer would have been to have you know it's so satisfying to look down at the back of your camera and see that you've actually managed to get you know a a fantastic shot on the shot um so yeah I'm I'm happy for the 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 two guys who managed to get that um but definitely jealous (laughs) yes yeah I can totally understand (laughs) I have that too sometimes when looking at the work of fellow photographers you're like oh great shot and yeah Yeah. I wish I would have taken it yeah (laughs) so true and um I think maybe Ella this question is more for you like 
the technique that's being used in that mm. image, um, mm. in both of them, actually. Mm. Uh, I know one of the images was from uh, Kai Pfaffenbach, I think. Mm. The other one, I don't know. I think the other uh, one was Cameron Spencer from Getty. Ah, yes, actually. Yeah, I remember. Yep. And um, have you learned any techniques from looking at, at their two images mm. or maybe at other images that you admire? Do you kind of use it in your own practice? Yeah, I mean... Um... For sure. I mean, I think I already used, you know, that technique of using the slow shaft speed. Um, I use that quite often in tennis. Um, I think it's quite a good sport to use that. Like, you know, they're running all over the place. Um, and, but at the same time, it's incredibly risky to use that a lot because whilst you're, you're trying to get the picture, you're missing out on pretty much everything else that's going on. Um, so you can't just sit there during a whole match doing that because you might have, well, you might have nothing to show for it at the end of a match, or you might have one image. Um, so you have to pick your moment, um, during a match when there's sort of a lull in play or, um, but it's, it's so rewarding if, if you do manage to, to capture something really special like that. Um, it's just so, so satisfying. Um, um, but yeah, I think for sure we're all looking at each other's work and um, if if someone's using a, a certain technique that maybe you haven't tried before, then, you know, we're influencing each other and I think. Yeah, of course. Always. I don't think we copy from each other, but I think it mm. gives us permission to look in a different way. You know, you suddenly think, gosh, maybe that would be the place to stand. Maybe mm. that would be the, um, you know, especially at Wimbledon, which is coming up, you know, the, the, all those different angles, whether you go high, whether you go low, and some photographer will, will do a shot and you think, wow, I've never thought of that. It's not necessarily copying. It's just being given the freedom to go and try it. And, you know, you, you could do the next 100-meter uh, sprinter the same way, but nobody will quite make the picture that Hussein Bolt will because it's it's his personality that comes through the pictures um, I think we all need characters, you know, we need characters all, all my life of doing sport, you know, the Borg, McEnroe's, Gerolitis, these great tennis players made pitchers, even standing still. And, <laughs> you know, that, you know, you, you have certain days where you just think I'm going to get something today. And I should imagine Ella next week, you know, we'll get pictures of Serena Williams because people love her and she's such a star and maybe it's the last time. And I dare say Ella will be watching her all the time just for that one moment. But Serena just is larger than life in the nicest sense, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's one of the criteria of a good sports photograph, the kind of the person or the sportsman or woman in the picture. And I guess sometimes you can get quite lucky if this person has quite a personality because you know for sure something's going to happen, even if they're just like standing there. But what would you say are some of the other criteria that make for an iconic sports image? What does an image need? I, th I think now, you know, with um, newspapers um, and magazines, it's different from television covers everything. And what we have to try and do is come up with a different picture on a daily basis. And it's hard to come up and surprise somebody, surprise with something new. Uh, and then the other element I always look for is, is just sheer power and strength, you know, of an athlete at the top of their form, whether it's a swimmer, a tennis player, or a footballer. So I think power, surprise, and something new would be my criteria. I mean, I don't, I, I never used to go out thinking today it's power, surprise, and something new. But I knew at the back <laughs> of my mind that's what I was after. You know, I was after how can I stop the reader? I remember I did a few pitches in football and I observe a reader wrote in and saying, um, I love your picture and I hate football. And I, I felt <laughs> I was really getting somewhere. If you can get yeah. somebody who hates football and loved your picture, and whether they're, I, I know another element in, in my work used to be wit. I used to try and not, not you know, in the ribs humor, but sort of gentle, slow burning wit. And if you can get a picture that um, works slowly and people gradually get it, gradually get it. It's a bit like yourself just saying about Borg and noticing the line judge. 
in a way, the line judge is just as important as Borg. The ordinariness of him and his blazer and his Wimbledon tie kind of makes it. And it's it's those little bits. You can't force humor or wit, but it does help. Yeah, that's. I love how you really had three kind of criteria that were always in the back of your mind while going out uh, to shoot this. It's amazing. It's really a good thing to have, actually, as a photographer, to not be... Yeah, to have a clue of what you want a picture to have. Um, of course, it's not not on every day that you'll get an image like that, but we all know that. Um, and for Ella, what is it for you? What criteria criteria does a good image need? Well, I think, you know, if you're going for an iconic sports image, um, then I think that picture needs to perfectly sum up a moment in time without any need for words. Um, one that leaves a real impression on you. Um, and I think if you think about, you know, the most famous iconic pictures, for example, Maradona, the hand of God, um, the Usain Bolt image that we've talked about, maybe Michael Jordan with his trademark jump, um, <clears throat> and maybe the Black Power salute at, at the Olympics, I believe. Um, the thing that they all have in common is you know, the emotion that it, it makes you feel immediately by looking at it and then the memories that they they bring back. And I don't think a picture necessarily needs to be technically perfect for it to, you know, d define a moment in time, a moment in history. And could it, like the image that Eamon described in the beginning, kind of that gladiator moment, um, that was not of the sport itself, Do you think a real good sport image does it does it have to be the action? Well, I guess I know the answer from Eamon, but Ella, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, no, I I absolutely do not believe it has to be of action. In fact, I I don't put a great deal of priority on on action itself. Obviously, we need to shoot action because it's sport and that's the nature of it. But for me, probably some well, most of my favorite photos are not actually of action, but something else, um, something else that, that tells the story of, of a match or of a tournament or of uh, something special that's happened. Um, so, for example, the sh a shot that comes to mind is when Andy Murray won Wimbledon in 2013 for the first time. Um, you know, the amount of pressure that he had on his shoulders, the whole nation had been wanting a British player to win Wimbledon for, I believe, 77 years. Um, and, you know, he finally did it and, and that was incredible. But the image for me that that I love from, from that whole set of pictures that I got was um, one where I focused on the crowd um, who were all taking pictures of Andy holding up the trophy with their phones. Um, and so I would say 99% of, you know, the center court crowd were taking pictures using their phones and holding up their phones in the same position. And there was a beautiful evening light um, on the crowd um, from, from where I was shooting from. And you could just see the joy on all, the, all of their faces. Everyone was smiling, everyone was happy, everyone was taking a photo. And then you had Andy, you know, out, out of focus in front of them, holding up the trophy. And I think, yeah, I mean, I think that absolutely sums up what he's done, the achievement that he's that he's made and, you know, all the pressure and maybe some relief as well that he's done it. And Yeah, I just think it's a beautiful image. And that was used quite a bit in the papers, you know, the next few days. Mm. So that was satisfying. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's always a beautiful moment as well when you get to share the image and others also see what you were seeing in it, right? Yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. That's quite magical as well. So how did you uh, kind of get started shooting tennis? Are you like, were you playing tennis? Were you interested in tennis in some way already yeah. playing tennis yourself? Yeah, I mean, my whole family um, basically played tennis, not to really high level, but um, for many generations, people have been playing tennis, and I started when I was three. 
It started with one contact I had, which was um, the editor of the travel desk, I think, at the, um, the Telegraph, Daily Telegraph, um, who was my aunt's best friend. She introduced me to the sports desk editor and he then introduced me to their um, cricket photographer at the time who's called Philip, Phil Brown, Philip Brown, um, renowned cricket photographer. And he invited me along to a 2020 match. Um, and I went along not having a clue what I was doing, but he sat me down in, in the right place. I think he let me borrow his gear, his cameras as well, and basically just gave me a, a lesson on, on how to shoot cricket. And I, by the way, hate cricket like I've had absolutely no interest in cricket but I was hooked I absolutely (laughs) loved 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 doing that and from there he introduced me to the photographer who was going to shoot Wimbledon for the Telegraph Um, and I rang him up and he said oh well if you can get into Wimbledon um, I'll meet you so on the first day of Wimbledon that year which was I believe 2005 I went over to Wimbledon, queued up from horribly early time, 5am or something, and managed to get a ground spot. And when I got in, I I called called the photographer and I I met him and um, he said, right, I'm going to set you a challenge for the day. Go around the grounds with your camera and just shoot what you think makes nice pictures. So I did that Um, and went back to see him at the end of the day and showed him what I'd done. And I guess they weren't too bad because then he introduced me to the official Wimbledon photographer, who's the great and late Tommy Hindley. Um, And he basically just took me in, took me under his wing, gave me a a technician's pass for the tournament, which was already like a dream come true, the fact that I could you know, walk into Wimbledon the next day without having to queue or pay or anything. Um, Amazing. And, yeah, I mean, that would never happen today. It, it's it's completely mad. But he he let me, you know, follow him around to the outside courts. I couldn't go on the court with the pass, but I could stand with the public. And he'd show me, you know, where to stand, what makes a good picture. He taught me about the light. Um, and that was my first real introduction to tennis photography. And by the end of the tournament, I had a, a picture up on the Wimbledon website. And that mm. I just remember that feeling, you know, it was a simple picture of Anna Ivanovich um, just sitting in her chair during a changeover, looking at looking over her shoulder, basically towards me. Um, and she just looked very serene and, and she's very photogenic and that made the website and I just remember just how happy I was and I don't know proud I suppose but just Mm. I loved I loved it and I knew that that was what I wanted to do um and so from there I managed to use um Tommy's agency to get credentials for the the rest of the tennis season and I just took myself off to America that summer using the little savings that I had, um, staying in hostels, staying in random people's sofas that I met along the way and just get it, going to these tournaments every day, shooting, uh, building up contacts, you know, really learning on the job. Um, and I just kept doing that for basically a year and then I got my first um, proper client about a year later and then it all, all, all went from there what i really like which is which is maybe not uh, i don't know if that's the standard in sports photography but it sounds like your colleagues uh kind of really helped you or they were welcoming towards you when you first exactly. started out that's really beautiful exactly and i'm not sure that all i i don't yeah i mean i don't think that would happen today but people were so kind and genuinely wanted to help me get into the industry um oh, I mean, beautiful hopefully i had some skills so <laughs> that helped but <laughs> yeah course. it was it was pretty shocking um I, I really don't think that would happen today maybe things have become a lot more competitive um but yeah that was 
that was special. That's really beautiful that that happens. I think nowadays, well, I can only speak for myself in the photojournalism world. Um, I live in the Netherlands and it was quite welcoming here, but yeah, once you start working in other countries, it's more competitive because people know you're kind of, uh, yeah, want to be in the international photojournalism world. So it's it's beautiful to see how welcoming they were. It's so important to have mentors like that who kind of help you, even yeah, if absolutely. it's with little things, like getting inside somewhere, you know, like just being able to be there. That's really yeah. amazing. So in those earlier um, years, what were some of the challenges that you faced while shooting tennis? Because I can imagine... Um, you're learning by doing it, right? No one, it's, it's like such a steep learning curve to, to go from, uh, yeah, to start with tennis and to not know kind of, you know, the sports, but to be able to photograph it. So I can imagine there were challenges. Yeah. I mean, it's funny to think that now it's all second nature to me. Um, I don't really remember there being that many challenges. I think because I I absolutely loved what I was doing, um, I never really, I, in fact, I never saw any downsides to, you know, those first few years that I was getting into it. I just, I loved what I was doing and I was so happy to be able to do it. Um, but obviously it is an incredibly competitive industry and if you're specializing in a sport, then, you know, there are, there are just a few clients that you can get um, and they're already, they're already taken basically by the other guys who are doing tennis to make a living. Um, so I think, well, technically speaking, tennis is, I would say relatively easy in that it's, it's very repetitive by nature. So you, you've got a lot of goes to, try and get that ball on the racket or the image that you're, you're looking for. Um, mm. But on the other hand, there's always a moment which is just a one-off. So you've, you've got to be focused for, for hours. You know, the tennis day is incredibly long. Um, you know, you're shooting from 11 a.m. till 1 a.m. sometimes. And you need to be focused you know, mentally, you've got to be focused during the whole time. Sometimes you'll have a five-hour match and you can't leave. And that is physically draining. It's mentally draining. So um, I would say those are the most challenging moments for me. It's just how long it all is. Yeah, just straight straining on, on the body <laughs> yeah, and on, on being really focused. Is. Yeah, <laughs> can imagine. And what has been your best, that's such a difficult question. I sometimes get this question myself, uh, like what is your best photograph, but what is your best, um, like tennis moment, maybe not even the best photograph, but there must've been a moment you were like, oh, wow, I can't believe I'm sitting here and able to shoot this. It's a tough one. I think it's, it's a toss up between two great British moments in tennis. Um, and I'm tempted to talk about when Emma Raducanu won the US Open last year. Um, but I still think Andy Murray winning Wimbledon for the first time was um, just so special. It was, you know, all that pressure and all the build-up, all the hype year after year after year on every single British player that played Wimbledon. Um, I just cannot imagine how how he did it, how he served on that match point and, and won. Um and for me personally, you know, I, I put an immense amount of pressure on myself to get the best out of that moment because I, I knew it was such a privilege to be sitting there in one of the best seats on centre court. Um, and I just did not want to mess that up. I wanted to come away with a really nice set of images that, you know, did the moment justice. Um, and so I was, I mean, I was incredibly nervous as well but I I think those nerves helped me I to was focus. about to ask like how were yeah. you feeling yeah oh. I was really nervous yeah. as, as I as it got towards the end of, of the match and I felt oh gosh he's actually going to win this you know I became much more focused and I was just thinking about everything that could happen and what I wanted to get from it um obviously you can't predict everything <clears throat> excuse me you can't predict everything but um, you know, a few things that will happen after the match point and is he going to go up to the, the family box, the player box? 
Um, you just got to be ready for any situation. You got to be ready to change lenses. Um, and there's, you know, there's so many elements you, you can't predict as well. Like the light, for example, I think it was cloudy and then sunny and, you know, the lights changing the whole time. Um, and yeah, I, at the end of it, I was, I was really proud of what I did. Um, and the emotions, you know, the atmosphere of that match were just incredible. I don't think it will ever be seen again, you know, the feeling that I got as well, um, from being there and witnessing it so close. Very, very special. Yeah, I can imagine. And I can also really imagine how nervous you must have been. Mm. Maybe even yeah. a similar feeling to the player himself. Well, you know, exactly. Like, I think, oh. yeah, we definitely <laughs> share some of that. Yeah, because you really have to uh, be there. That's that's what really stresses me. I, I don't do sports photography. Mm. I, I don't think I could because I think I would be so nervous if you miss <laughs> the moment, you really miss it, you know? And Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In a way, it's the same with news, the, the, the kind yeah. of photography I do, but... Yeah, I think that's why I slowly am moving into doc documentary photography because <laughs> if you miss that newsy moment, it's, oh, yeah, no, I yeah. can totally understand. And then yeah. you did so well. You must have been so proud, you know, like seeing the images. and Yeah, and, you know, they were used in the newspapers the next day, which is always, you know, very satisfying yeah. and makes it all of course. worthwhile. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. And Eamon, what about you? How, how did you kind of get started in, uh, in sports photography? Well, I started off like a, a lot of kids in um, photography, photographing my heroes, my stars. Um, uh, this dates me, but I photographed The Who in 1970, and I loved music. Music was going to be my thing. I wanted to do bands all my life, and I still love doing bands and uh, a lot of aging rock stars now, some of them still older than me. But <laughs> I was doing lots of music, but then... I got disillusioned with music. It became very formulaic. You know, every night you went, it was the same sort of gig. Alvin Stardust, I remember we hired a theatre to do his album cover, and he was late, so I had to be Alvin Stardust for a couple of hours. And I had thousands of girls screaming at me. And although that sounds wonderful, it was just so sort of organised and formulaic and boring. And I'd always been a Sunday morning footballer, and I'd love football. And I shared a building when I was doing the music with a, a sports agency. And they asked me, would I go along and do Southampton Spurs? Spurs, my favorite team. I managed to get uh, the center forward, a guy called Martin Chivers, score a hat trick. And it was all over the Sunday papers the next day. And I was hooked. But the main, the, the, my main route into sports photography was I noticed the local papers never co covered rugby. And in my area, Saracens were a park football team, park rugby team, rather. And if you can imagine, nobody was covering them. Now, these guys used to wear black shirts in the winter, play against black trees. And I was using old RAF film, which I didn't oh, even wow. know, didn't know what speed it was. But I learned. I learned how to process. I learned how to um, sell. I learned how to go around and deliver pitches. And um, funny enough, uh, with Ella, I gave Tommy Henley his first job. Oh, really? And, it, and it's wonderful to think that to uh, Tommy went on then to help Ella out. Yeah. Sadly, poor man died a few years ago. But uh, I did Saracens rugby as a park team, and I just watched them last week at uh, Twickenham in front of 80,000 people. And they're now major, major rugby side. Um, but it was all because local photographers on the papers didn't want to get wet. And I didn't mind getting wet. And if I could sell three or four of these pictures a weekend, I'd make a few bob. And then one day, the Telegraph used one of my pictures. And then I decided to go uptown, as it were, onto the Nationals. And that's where Tommy came in handy. Tommy wanted to pick up. And he um, he got into covering my locals. So, you know, like um, Tommy helped Ella, I think I helped Tommy get going. And... It's the way of the game, I think. I think sports people uh, are very friendly, competitive, but friendly. Um, but that's really how I got going. So the Telegraph picked up on um, some of my rugby pitches, and then I got to start with The Guardian, and I've been with The Guardian and Observer ever since, really. And 
What there was one thing you mentioned. I'm not sure if I heard it correctly, but did you also say delivering pictures? Yeah, in those. Can you explain? <laughs> I know that must be a shock to all you youngsters. <laughs> We used to have to physically take our pictures into the offices. Um, I see. Okay. I mean, you you guys don't know you're born. You know, you can sit beside. Uh, <laughs> You can sit beside um, a football match or, you know, at a post or on, at Wimbledon and file down the line. I had yeah, to go right back from and, the camera, straight I out of the camera. I had to go and process my film. And I used to process on the way home from Spurs and um, I had to, you know, sort of fix the wait, film. Wait, wait, wait. How do you process on the way home? Yeah, a little, little plastic um, uh, developing um, outfit and you put chemicals uh -huh. in. You drive about two miles, you sling the chemical out, then you put some fixer in, then you drive This another mile and a half. And then when uh -huh. I got to the archway road, you'd have to put uh, meths in it to dry it. And then, <laughs> So you timed it by the amount of minutes you were driving? Yeah, on the road, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love it, okay. Well, don't forget, it's so competitive then. And whoever got back to yeah. a newspaper office first would get their picture in the paper. Wow. Um, now, so you had to be the best photographer, but also the best, the fastest, fastest driver, basically. The fastest driver with film hanging out the window. It must have looked, <laughs> it must have looked bizarre. But um, it was great. It wow. was a great. Don't forget, we didn't know anything different. You know, that was yeah, of course. That was just the way it was. And um, I, th I think it's hel helped. You know, down the years, you know, you lots of newspaper photographers. Don't forget, we live on our wits. We duck and dive a bit. Um, maybe now the specialists have come in. You know, I'm sure Ella does mainly tennis. You'll get somebody else who does mainly rugby. In my day, you know, I used to photograph a bit of everything, tennis, rugby. I mean, I've done sports like underwater hockey. Um, you know, so I, I am the world's leading underwater hockey photographer. Um, <laughs> but I had to do a bit of everything, you know, so I would. Um, and I enjoyed that because I could make different pictures And see different things in the in the sports, whether it's cross country running in the snow, whether it was the Olympics or whatever. So I was very very fortunate on the Observer to be a sports photographer, but not a specialist. Hmm. And I believe you also work uh, worked as a picture editor, right? Yeah, I did twelve uh, years. I, I left the uh, Observer to you know change careers and become i the independent had just come along and everyone said oh, don't you think Eamon, don't you think the indie's going to be great and they were good they had great printing no advertising which is a great help when you're doing layouts and i and i heard that the picture editor of the guardian was leaving and i pitched for it uh, you know normally a sports photographer wouldn't become a picture editor of a national paper but i pitched for it and i said look i think i have the confidence to get good photographers in and get good pictures in the paper and peter preston god bless him he's not with us anymore gave me my start and i did 12 13 years and i loved it but then after that i went back out on the road and i thought rather than go and do sports which would have been almost not not easy i was So I was scared that the techniques had improved so much in 10 years, the cameras had improved so much in 10 years, um, that I, I drifted into an, another, um, I reinvented myself and I went into portraiture of uh, people in the arts, which I still do. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, so you kind of moved in a different, uh, different direction. Well, I think we all reinvent ourselves. We don't realize we're doing it, but I think... Over the years, you know, you people do change and you want to have a go, go with the train set, if you like. That's very true. I've had several moments in my career, I've been doing this for 15 years, where, I, where I've literally thought, okay, I'm going to do this the rest of, I don't want to do anything differently. This is what I do best, you know? And then yeah. three years down the line, you realize, hey, I kind of moved slightly into a different or in a new direction. You kind of have to, to keep it... Yeah, to keep it interesting, but also to keep the quality up, I guess. You have to make changes and, yeah. Yeah, I think root. you have to keep your mind open to that. You know, um, you, it doesn't happen overnight, but you suddenly realize that you, you're more interested in laying out a set of pictures than maybe taking them because yeah, you want to have, yeah, yeah. have the influence. You want to be able to say, yeah, that is a great picture. That should be on the front page. And you'll get people who've never been down that road before saying, I don't think so. And then they come in the next morning and just say, Eamon, you were right. The paper yeah. looks great. And <laughs> that is just beautiful. having the nerve to argue 
But experience does that for you. You know, you learn you learn what's a good picture. You learn the pictures you wish you'd taken yourself. You you bring on some young photographers. I brought on Tom Jenkins, who's now a great sports photographer, has done the last three or four Olympics. And he's a brilliant photographer, and he'll be at Wimbledon every day. And I'm very proud of him because I met him when he was 16. And he came up to me after a talk and said, how do I become a sports photographer? And I sent him away to college in Newport. And now he's um, the top sports photographer for The Observer and The Guardian. But I don't feel I wish I was still doing it. I just pleased he's doing it. And when, I mean, there's a quite a big difference between being a picture editor and being a photographer, of course, but you've taken all your experience from being a photographer to your job as a picture editor. But I've always wondered, because it's a route that, that, that I've seen some colleagues take as well. And I always wonder when looking at images, do you kind of look like a, do you use a different set of criteria when you're, when you're looking at images in that way? Like, is it different to take them or to select them? Because when you were a photographer, you were also selecting your own images, but I can imagine there's a difference, right? Yeah, I suppose when I was a photographer, I didn't didn't have any power. <laughs> yes. When, when you're picture <laughs> so you have power. And and you can go into a conference of six or seven uh, sub-editors and say, I think this is the best picture in the room. And you have to hold your nerve because the next day it's on the front and if it works, it's brilliant. If it does, if it doesn't work, you you don't you go in a bit later than the next day. But uh, you know the thing is to I think our business is very much about confidence. The picture editing side is very much about being confident and being able to argue for an image, argue for somebody's work. Um, I mean, people like yourselves who go all around the world, somebody back in an office has to argue for your work, and um, you know I find out the hardest thing in newspapers now is getting difficult pictures into papers, you know, with the fatigue, say, from even Ukraine, sadly, which, you know, is on telly every single night. And I can imagine in newspaper office and people saying, we can't put it on the front again. And somebody has to argue and say, yes, you can. It's important that mm. everyone sees it um, mm. to make a change. So photographers like yourself who are out there in the field are getting some support back in the office. Yeah, yeah. It's beautifully said because I know that like my favorite editors in the world, the best ones are the ones who are literally going to argue for your image. And that goes, I mean, that's not only in sports photography uh, and uh, or in journalism, it's in all different genres. It's amazing when you find a good editor that wants to fight for an image, you know, because as a photographer, you're already fighting to get the image. So it's so lovely when you fight, find an editor who's also fighting for that same image in the office. It's really important, such an important uh, role. So Ella, uh, throughout the years, of course, social media has uh, really grown. Mm. Um, do you feel it has impacted or changed sports photography in any way? Yes, I mean, definitely it's had a huge impact on, on the industry. Um, I think in good and bad ways. Um, on the plus side, there is you know, a lot more demand for photos. Um, certainly I've, I've got clients over the last few years or the last 10 years or so, um, because of social media, because people need more images and they need it now, you know, everything is now, now, now. Um, so for me, it's worked out pretty well. Um, on, on the flip side, everyone now, anyone with a phone is a photographer or they think they're a photographer. Um, and so, yeah, in a way that's become a bit more competitive. Um, and it's, it's quite depressing, actually, some of the pictures that you'll see on social media, um, and they've been taken with a phone and they're just not that good at all. Um, so it does depress you at times. And then also frustratingly at tournaments, tennis tournaments, for example, um, you know, these social media people will be credentialed possibly ahead of you or be given a better position courtside than you. And that kind of thing really does frustrate you because, you know, what is photography becoming? Um, are we valued anymore? Um, but I think, you know, the clients that are worth working for do still value 
professional photographers and what what they bring. So as long as you have good clients, you know, so far it's it's okay. So there's good and bad. Yeah, yeah, totally understand. And it's the same in uh, in my industry as well. Yeah, of course. Journalism, and especially frustrating with, uh, like you say, with accreditations, because mm. when people have a lot of followers, it's sometimes mm. interesting for an organization to invite people, of course, and I understand that too. At the same, yeah, at the same time, you wonder like, uh, yeah, why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why is this like this? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a bit painful sometimes. As yes, well. exactly. Yeah. Um, actually, I have a question to uh, both of you. We've talked about your favorite image in the beginning, but I'm also curious to know if there's an image that, well, that you're proud of, but that you also hope will inspire other photographers. Maybe you, uh, let's start with Ella. Maybe you know one of your images that you kind of hope might be looked at at a younger generation, from a younger generation thinking, ah, tennis photography. <laughs> um, hmm. I mean, I'm not sure about, <laughs> I was just going to talk about um, a picture of Emma Raducanu from the US Open last year, um, but it's it's not tennis. It's just her holding a trophy. That's fine. <laughs> um, and so this, this image was of her holding the trophy, following the final. Um, she, the tradition is in tennis, the winner does a photo shoot away from um, the court. So it's either the, the same evening or the next day. And usually it's in an iconic um, place in the city that they're, they're playing in. Um, but on this occasion, it was done the night, that, that same night after the final. And it was, it was pretty late, maybe 9 p.m. Um, and it was just, uh, it was done on site. And it was going to be her standing in front of a fountain with a horrible neon sign behind her saying Emma Raducanu, US Open uh-huh. champion. Um, and none of us were really looking forward to it. We didn't think it was going to be a great pitch at all. Um, but we had to go along because <laughs> you can't miss out on anything. Yeah. Um, and we were waiting and waiting and waiting. She was late, getting later and later. We were all really fed up um, of waiting. And eventually she came out, she emerged and she looked absolutely stunning. She was wearing this black mini dress. Um, her hair was in beautiful, you know, waves. Her face was made up and we, none of us had ever seen her looking like that. I mean, she's so new to tennis anyway. Um, but she looked beautiful. And so she came out and she posed in front of this fountain and I knew that I didn't want any of that in my background. All I wanted was a black, clean background so that she popped out at the camera and all the focus mm. was on, on her without any distractions. Um, so I shot away. It was probably only lasted a couple of minutes. Um, I hadn't got a clue if I'd got any nice shots by the end of it. Um but finally, when it was all over, I had a, had a look at the back of the camera and went, wow, <laughs> this is, I've, I've struck gold here. She looks absolutely stunning. And there's a little pop of flash that I used. And her smile is, I mean, I, you probably all seen her smile. It's just makes you smile. Um, anyway, so I sent the photos off to my editor, um, at my agency, Shutterstock, and didn't really think too much more about it. And then the next day during, I was shooting the men's final um, and I started to get a message through from the editor and there was a picture of, my picture of of Emma and it was on the front page of one of the British papers. And I was like, oh wow, it was massive. Like it was all over it and I was (laughs) was so happy. Um, And I got another message with another paper front cover and then another one and another one. And I ended up, on the majority of the front pages of, no of the way. newspapers with Amazing. a variety of, of this same image. Um, and, you know, that had never happened to me before. I, I, I do get published in newspapers, but not really on the front page and mm. certainly not on all of the front pages. Um, <laughs> and it was, <laughs> it must have been great. It was, yeah, it was an incredible moment also because that whole two weeks was very special. Um, 
I only I only managed to get into New York because I still had a valid I visa. At, t- at that time during COVID, you needed um, uh, an exemption to enter the country, and none of the other photographers could get in. <laughs> so it's almost by luck that I was there. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I was obviously really proud of that image. Um, and it got an award at a recent uh, SJA Awards as well. So that's one of my favorite moments and favorite pictures. Yeah, I can imagine. That sounds really lovely. That's amazing to be on all these front pages. Yeah. You can't beat that feeling of just personal satisfaction. Um, and, you know, I was, I was ready to give up on that. I was ready to walk away because she was so late and I was exhausted. So it just teach you, you know, you've got to be patient with these things. You've got to stick at it. And I think that's to, you know, it, you've got to remember that about this industry in general. You know, you've got to stick at it. You've got to persevere because there are times when it will be really tough um, and you just won't want to continue anymore. But if you've got the passion for it and the motivation, then, you know, you can make it. Yeah, you can make it and you just keep going and stick with it, even though sometimes it might not be going the way you want it. Yeah, I agree. If you just keep going, you will get there and you will get the image, especially, yeah, yeah, persevere and especially also on shoots. Waiting longer than your colleagues is always a good thing to do. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) even though you don't want to do it, but yeah. (laughs) Exactly, you just sit and wait. And Eamon, for you, um, what image did you take that you hope will inspire other photographers, maybe a new generation of photographers? Well, I think we change our minds nearly every other day about our favorite picture. Um, you know, something will crop up and remind you of something. But I think my favorite picture of all time is, funny enough, taken in uh, table tennis. And it's of a, a, a young Chinese table tennis player. The Chinese were here to play a series of friendly um, matches against teams in Europe. And I went to a, a, a hall, funny enough, near where I lived in Edmonton in North London. And I went into this hall and it was a fairly standard um sports hall, you know, with not very interesting lighting um, and it was high in the ceiling. And I, as I walked in, this table tennis player, Lai Chen Shai, I've never forgotten his name, threw in a high serve. Now, I'd never seen this. Table tennis, for me, used to be a nightmare because it's so quick. You know, players bang the ball across the net really quick and it's impossible really to capture it. But this guy threw in a high serve, which meant his opponent was put off because the ball was going 15 feet in the air. And I thought, wow, what a wonderful picture. But I missed it. I was only just got there. And I sat down um, with him in my viewfinder, as it were, and just prayed that he would do it again. And it's funny in this day and age of manipulation and Photoshop, when I sat down and what would have been the perfect angle there was an annoying green exit sign in the middle of the frame. And I moved and I moved. One of my hobby horses is backgrounds. Like Ella was talking about, you know, getting a really good, um, you know, um, black background, really important. If if you have a great picture and a terrible background, it's no good to anybody. If you can get the two together, then it's perfect. And I moved around to get a black solid background. And this gentleman threw two more serves in. One went about three feet in the air and the other went about 20 feet in the air. And I got it on an 85 mil lens and ASA, God knows it must have been 3,200 at least. And I got it back, processed it, and um, it, it is one of my favorites. And it's funny enough, it's a picture of what's, the photograph is made up of what's not in the picture rather than what's in it. Because at the bottom of the frame, you have a little face. At the top, you have a ball. And in between, you have um, a mounted a black space. I know sub-editors that will put three stories in that black space. So I was very lucky yes. that the Observer just ran it as a picture. And uh, sadly, when I passed when I passed away, people will say, oh, that's the guy who did the table tennis picture. And they'll probably forget my name. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's good when uh, pictures live on like that. Also, yeah. if it's uh, <laughs> table tennis. <laughs> and um, I know both of you cover really huge events like uh, Wimbledon and uh, Eamon. You've shot at the Olympics. 
Can you describe, I think it's going to be quite difficult, but uh, the atmosphere, what is it like in these big tournaments? I guess overwhelming. I've, I've been to one of them and I can just, I, I just can't imagine working there. It must be crazy. I don't know. Can you, Ella, maybe, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I think, you know, Wimbledon and, and the big Grand Slams, especially Wimbledon, maybe when you walk through the gate on, on day one and, you know, you just immediately feel this buzz um all the public swarming around excited everyone's excited which court should we go to which matches are we going to go and see today um are there going to be any big upsets and yeah you just you do feel that buzz in the air and then especially when you're you know you're shooting these big matches between possibly two icons of the sport um or not maybe it's just you know a local talent the British public want to win um you know that atmosphere on, on center court it is really difficult to describe um I think that's uh, it's hallowed ground you know it's, it's a, a, a unique place and a unique atmosphere that is very very special um and I suppose you do have to be there to really experience that um but yeah you feel I think you feel a great sense of you know privilege that you're being allowed to be part of this and for example when Murray won Wimbledon for the first time um you know it leaves you quite emotional as well that you're part of this and the crowd are going nuts and you know it's all quite overwhelming sometimes um so yeah it's it's very it's very very special Sounds hectic and beautiful at the same time. Yeah. Eamon, what is that like for you? Like, what has it been like for you? Well, the Olympics are scary. Um, they're huge events. There's always something going on somewhere. And you are nervous that you're missing something. I mean, essentially, you're there to photograph the British athletes. And, you know, whether it's a young boxer or a gymnast, You have to do your homework and and see if these people are coming through the early rounds. And then on their big day, you know, you have to sort of make sure you're there. And the, the rumor spreads like wildfire at Olympics. You know, somebody will say, oh, there's a great picture to be had over at the rifle range where the young Brit has just got a chance of a gold. And you go all the way over there. It's often miles and miles away. And then you realize you've got to get back for the 50 or the 100 meter heats in the, um, you know, uh, in the athletics. So you're constantly on your nerves. And it's a day that starts early morning because often sports are very early morning. And then boxing finishes in the evening. Um, but the main thing is you have to do your homework, um, covering it for an English newspaper. Um, but then... The, the sort of romantic in you, you want the picture of Usain Bolt. You want the picture of, in my case, Edwin Moses. Um, and, you know, you try and do them as well. And it's you're, you're, you're chasing your tail. Um, and then people get sick. You, you get sick. You get overwhelmed. And it's a month. It's a month of work. Um, but it, it is fabulous. I've done four of them. And... Um, You know, uh, I, I loved every minute. Um, now, maybe it's a bit easier because you haven't got a process. You've got everything on your computer. I think another thing that's helped um, Ella's generation maybe is autofocus. Um, we never had autofocus. We had to focus everything. Um, I spoke to a couple of uh, uh, photographers uh, a year or so ago, and they could let Usain Bolt run at them uh, on a you know a good Canon lens and get... 15 frames sharp. When I did it, you were lucky if you got three frames sharp because you had to rack back. And, um, you know, the 100 meters at Olympics is the most scary thing I've ever done. A, it doesn't last very long. B, are you in the right position? And just will you capture the excitement of the 100 meters? Um, I, I think... The, the, you know, as I said before, photographers now are fortunate they've got autofocus out of a very good quality and maybe you can get 20 versions of somebody finishing over 100, over the 100 meter line. I could only maybe get one or two and maybe one of them wouldn't be sharp. 
Wow, yeah, so much has changed in that matter. I mean, the the driving from your shoot and developing film story is one thing, but then, of course, the autofocus, I I could not live without, uh, for sure. I don't yeah. think I'd be able to get any sharp images, especially yeah, not when either. things are moving. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> no, I wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> <laughs> no, same here. Different, total different uh, generation. Yeah, I have I a lot of appreciation for, yeah, for you guys. It's amazing, yeah. it's amazing. A downside of doing the Olympics was uh, in Sarajevo in the Winter Olympics, you'd have to cover the men's downhill, the ice skating and the ice hockey all in the same kit. Okay, because so, you can't go back to your room and change. So you've got enough um, cold weather gear to keep you warm on the downhill slopes. And then you find yourself covering the ice skating and the ice hockey in very hot stadiums late at night. And you go back to your hotel room, which was uh, in Sarajevo. It was student accommodation, uh, which wasn't quite ready for the students. And the radiators never worked. So you'd put the wet gear back on again the next day and go back up the men's downhill. And then you get up the top of the downhill and there's no snow. <laughs> and you have to go to another hill 20 miles away. Um, now, these are all the things that are put in your way. But there, there are ways around it. And... Um, you know, I suppose in my world, as long as I got the rowing team winning, I got the sprinters winning, I got Daley Thompson doing his decathlon. Those, those are the big moments. But um, it is it, it is nerve wracking, and you're exhausted at the end because a month of month of maybe doing um, previews, doing the event, and then getting home. It's 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 a long old haul. Yeah, it really sounds like these big events uh, nowadays and 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 a few years ago really don't give you any time to to wind down. There's like no breaks. Feels like it just keeps on going, right? No sleep or maybe little sleep. Well, um, you've yeah. also got to deal with your office back in London. <laughs> Is know, that the worst? One, no, I'm one, one, one thing doing the event, and then somebody rings you at two in the morning saying, "Hey, did you get that picture of?" Uh, Daily Thompson, and you have to go back through all your stuff and send it over. Um, but hey, we wouldn't have missed it for the world. I'm making it sound. Uh, don't forget, I think the most important thing is we didn't know any different. So we, we're doing it the best we can with what we've got. Yeah, but I think with regards to tennis, um, I think everything is, is, is very much tougher these days. Um, you know, you're shooting from 11 a.m. and the matches you've got the night sessions now in in most of the tournaments everything has become so long um and then you've got to edit at the end of the day as well um i mean some people are lucky enough to have an editor but a lot of the freelancers don't so <clears throat> we'll be up until you know 2 3 a.m sometimes editing and then you're back in for 11 o'clock the next day and there's just it's relentless there is there are no days off for two weeks um yeah, towards the end of the tournament, you've got a bit more downtime, but there's still a lot going on. And, you know, I think Eamon was saying sometimes you might get sick because you're just, you don't have enough sleep and you're completely exhausted. So they're not actually that much fun and they're not that much glamorous. Um, people might think they are. Um, they are, they're really, really brutal. It's, it's hard work. Um, but, at the end of it and you look back on on the pictures that you've got and if you're happy with what you've got then you sort of do forget about that side of it but at the time yeah it's it's brutal <laughs> yeah sounds brutal sounds uh yeah it's very competitive as well um yes. i have a last question uh for both of you <laughs> um so it doesn't matter who answers first but if you could spend one day working alongside another photographer doesn't have to be a sports photographer by the way but who would it be and why sadly it is another sports photographer um that's <laughs> fine because i guess i love sport um but i think you know growing up i was i was brought up in a um a formula one household my dad was obsessed with formula one and every other sunday would be watching it on tv um these days i don't really follow it quite so much but um, I always love to see the images from Formula One. And there's a great photographer who specializes in it from Getty called Clive Mason, um, who occasionally does some tennis. 
And so, you know, we've become quite friendly. And I'm always just in awe whenever his images pop up on, you know, my timeline or whatever. Um, some of them just really shock me and make me think, how, how, has he, how has he done that? I literally don't understand how he's done that. It's obviously very different from tennis. Um, and I'd always, you know, I'd love to do exactly that, just spend one day with him going around at a race, seeing, you know, I wouldn't have a clue where to stand, where to go to get the best position or not a clue. Um, and some of the techniques that he uses, again, not a clue. Um, so, yeah, I'd just love to spend one day with him and see how he does it all. And How he learn. does that, yeah. yeah. What's the trick? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Thank you. And Eamon? Well, I'd love to work beside Ella <laughs> because I think her stuff is fantastic. The sun is shining. I'd love to go to Wimbledon. I did 20 Wimbledons or so. I'd love to do one more. I mean, I was very lucky. I got Virginia Wade. I got Borg McEnroe. Um, but I'd love to photograph Nadal. And I'd love it if uh, Ella could teach me how to use these new lenses um, <laughs> because you need characters, as we said before. And Nadal is, I think, it would be the one I would follow um, if I was lucky enough to get into Wimbledon. Maybe Ella can sneak me in and uh, I can yeah. learn how to do it uh, all over again. <laughs> Full circle. Full circle. <laughs> well, that's a beautiful, beautiful answer to, uh, Thank you. to end this episode. It was lovely listening to your stories and I hope uh, the upcoming years bring a lot more beautiful images for you. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing them. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ella and Eamon, for your time on the podcast today. And everybody at home, please do go and check out their amazing work. And this is also a good time to mention our previous episode on iconic photography uh, which was with the curator of photography at the Imperial War Museum, Hilary Roberts. And you can find this in the Shutter Stories feed. Thanks as ever for listening to the show, everybody. And we'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can rate and subscribe in the episodes listing. If you have any thoughts or feedback on today's episode or the podcast as a whole, why not reach out to us on social media? You'll find our details in the description below. We'd love to hear from you.